Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hometown Ghost Stories contains serious and often distressing events and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. This week on Hometown Ghost Stories, Penhurst has a very dark and disturbing history. 80 years of pain and torture are captured within these walls, so it's no wonder why this is one of the most haunted locations in the United States. Join us as we explore the twisted history of Penhurst State School and Hospital. This is episode number 83 of Hometown Ghost Stories, Spring City, Pennsylvania. Shelly was making her rounds after all the vendors had packed up. It was her first time working a Paracon event at Penhurst Asylum, and she was pleased with how it went. It had been foggy and misty all day, but the late afternoon sun was beginning to peek through the clouds as it began to set. She approached the stairway leading down to the tunnel system when she saw Kyle, one of the security guards. He was huffing and puffing his way across the parking lot. His face was beet red, and he was sweating. Everything okay? Shelly asked. Not really, Kyle snapped. He clicked the button on his walkie-talkie and said, copy that, into the receiver, even though nobody had said anything on the other end. A couple of vendors were shooting a TikTok live video in the parking lot, he said, as if he were reporting a shooting in progress. Is that a problem? Shelly asked. He looked at her as if she had slapped him in the face and stuck a finger at her, inches from her face. Not on my watch, he said, then clicked his walkie-talkie again and barked, 10-4! to absolutely nobody before marching down into the tunnel system. Shelly walked back to the tent area to help the team wrap up. After about 15 minutes, Cheryl walked up to her and asked her to go check the tunnels with her. Someone had reported hearing screams coming from down there. Shelly wanted no part of it, but wasn't going to let Cheryl go down there alone. The two descended the stairway with flashlights. All the lights had been shut off down there, except for the red glowing exit sign. And the old halls had a damp, dismal feel to them. Hello? Cheryl called out. Nobody responded. Shelly had a bad feeling, but kept it to herself because she felt she couldn't explain it and didn't want to appear irrational. Just then, they heard a faint whimpering sound, like somebody crying. Shelly swept their flashlight towards the sound and saw a figure crouched in the corner. The two women screamed. So did the figure. It was Kyle. He was curled up in the corner with tears streaming down his face. What the hell, Kyle? Shelly cried, sounding more worried than relieved. Kyle pointed down the hall. There was a little girl down there, he said through his sobs. That's what scared you? Cheryl asked. Her eyes and mouth were... They were... Sewn shut, he blurted out before sprinting full speed toward the tunnel exit. 
The two women stood there for a moment, unsure what just happened. We should make sure there isn't a little kid down here, Cheryl said. Shelley felt a tightness in her throat as they slowly crept down the dark hall. She knew of the hauntings and was even familiar with the reported sightings of this little girl ghost. She realized her hand had been shaking as she gripped her flashlight. She began to say she didn't think anyone was down there when she felt someone tug at her ponytail with unmistakable purpose. She yelped and whirled around expecting to see Cheryl, but quickly remembered that Cheryl had been half a pace in front of her and would have been unable to pull her hair. At that exact moment, Cheryl grabbed Shelly's arm and said, Get out! before quickly hurrying back towards the tunnel entrance. Shelly glanced down the hall in the direction that Cheryl was now fleeing and saw a tall shadow slowly rising up, nearly reaching the ceiling. Shelly turned back and hurried after Cheryl. She didn't even look back as she heard the loud wailing and echoing through the tunnel behind her. I'm Jesse Wilkins, and this is Hometown Ghost Stories, Penhurst State School and Hospital, Spring City, Pennsylvania. In 1903, the Pennsylvania legislature authorized the creation of what was then called the Eastern State Institution for the Feeble-Minded and Epileptic. A commission was organized to find the number and status of feeble-minded and epileptic people in the state and determine where they should go. They found that 1,146 people were in asylums and an additional 2,627 were in prisons, county care hospitals, and reformatories and they too were in need of specialized institutional care. They built the first two buildings and split the patients into two groups, one for the educational and industrial department and one for the asylum department. The institution was originally built to accommodate around 500 inmates. The first buildings were constructed from 1903 to 1908 in Spring City, Pennsylvania. The first few buildings consisted of a girls' dining room, a boys' dining room, laundry and sewing, the teacher's home, a cottage for boys, the school, and the powerhouse. They would continue to add more and more buildings as the need for more room grew. In 1929, the assembly building was complete and functioned as a gym and auditorium. The following year, the first buildings on the upper campus were added, otherwise known as the female colony. Capitol Building was built after World War II along with Devon and the Horizon Hall, which would be built in the 1970s. There was also a director's house, a treatment plant, and a dairy farm on campus. The buildings were all made of red brick, terracotta, and granite trimmings. Each building was connected by fireproof tunnels with walkways on top of the tunnels used to transport residents. The buildings were designed to provide a large number of small rooms which would have two to three beds in each. There would also be small dormitories in each building, which had 8 to 10 beds, as well as a large day room for exercise. A railroad led to Penhurst Station, which was created to supply coal to the powerhouse. This was operational for decades, and the tracks are still visible under the pavement behind the dietary in Devon Hall. This allowed boxcars to be brought directly to the main campus. Penhurst opened its doors on November 23, 1908, and patient number one was admitted to the hospital. Within four years, with a new demand to admit immigrants, orphans, and criminals, Penhurst was already overcrowded. In 1913, the legislature appointed a commission for the care of the feeble-minded, which stated that disabled people were unfit for citizenship and posed a menace to the peace. They recommended a program of custodial care. 
They felt that by sterilizing the disabled, this would prevent the intermixing of the genes of those imprisoned with the general population. Penhurst's chief physician quoted Henry H. Goddard, a leading eugenist, as follows, quote, Every feeble-minded person is a potential criminal. The general public, although more convinced today than ever before that it is a good thing to segregate the idiot or distinct imbecile, they have not yet been convinced as to the proper treatment of the defective delinquent, which is the brighter and more dangerous individual." End quote. In 1916, the Board of Trustees initiated a plan to increase the capacity of the institution by constructing the cottages. These were meant to segregate women from men to prevent pregnancies. Penhurst was isolated from the rest of the public, and many didn't even know about the horrors that were going on nestled away in the forest of Spring City. Penhurst functioned almost completely independently from the rest of society. It had its own power plant, produced its own food, and its grounds were policed by its own staff. The entire facility virtually operated without any interaction with the surrounding community, and that seemed to be the way that the community preferred it at the time. Despite their actual age, all of the residents were referred to as children by the staff, even though the average age at Penhurst was 36 in 1974. Patients at Penhurst spent an average of 21 years of their life inside the hospital. In the 1960s, a TV reporter named Bill Baldini ran a five-part documentary on Penhurst State School and Hospital on Philadelphia's TV10. It exposed the institution of the neglect and abuse of its patients. The series, titled Suffer the Little Children, showed images of patients having their hands and feet tied to beds. Inmates were shown rocking back and forth, pacing and twitching. Many of these patients were severely disabled, either mentally or physically, or both, while others seemed completely lucid and coherent. These individuals became withdrawn because of the overstimulation of the senses and the loud, frightening, and filthy environment. One patient was asked what he would like most in the world, and his response was, quote, to get out of Penhurst. 2,800 patients, 900 over capacity, were locked away at Penhurst, deprived of dignity and self-respect. These quote-unquote children, as they were called, were locked in cages and chained to beds. They were neglected and deprived of proper care from the understaffed personnel at Penhurst. Many of these children were abandoned and would never see their parents or family again. One of the more disturbing parts of the documentary was when one of the hospital physicians, literally named Dr. Fear, described how he dealt with a particularly vicious bully who had been acting out among the other inmates. The doctor admitted on camera that he had asked one of his colleagues which injection he could use on this patient to cause the most amount of discomfort without permanently injuring him. Then he proceeded to administer that injection to the patient. Dr. Fear admitted to deliberately attempting to lower a patient's dignity by housing him with the lower IQ patients as punishment. Bill interviewed a child named Johnny who was blindfolded in Q2 as punishment. Johnny spent his entire life at the hospital, and since being placed in Q2, he had been speaking less and less to the other patients, becoming more and more reclusive. Bill compared the amount of money being spent on animals at the local zoo to the amount of money being spent on patients at Penhurst, and the results were an average of $7.15 a day being spent on each animal at the zoo compared to just $5.90 a day per human being at the hospital. The abuse that these patients suffered at Penhurst was unimaginable. They were beaten, tortured, and isolated. Groups of children aged six months to five years were clustered together in metal cages, some left to lie in their own waste for days on end. 
A dentist chair still sits in the basement of Penhurst and is a chilling reminder of some of the brutal tactics that the doctors used to punish inmates. The first time one of these children would bite another inmate, they would be let off with a warning. The second time, they would be sent to the dentist and have all of their teeth pulled. A binder was discovered with records of all the surgeries that had been performed at the hospital, with a staggering amount of deaths that occurred on the operating table. Staff would punish high-functioning residents who acted out to work in low-functioning wards. They would be forced to clean feces and change dirty bedsheets as punishment. Furthermore, the suffering that these residents encountered was a lack of care and education that they would receive while in these wards. Instead of expanding their vocabulary or learning basic skills, they would sit neglected in these wards with nobody to talk to, and they would become more and more reclusive and withdrawn, in many cases worsening their condition. During its 80-year run, more than 10,000 patients were housed at Penhurst. It's estimated that thousands died at the location. Many lived their entire lives at the hospital. The 1960 documentary seemed to be the beginning of the end of the horrors at Penhurst. However, it would not close down officially for another 27 years. The final nail in the coffin was a class action lawsuit filed on May 30, 1974 on behalf of the current and former residents of Penhurst State School and Hospital. The lawsuit argued that patients' rights were violated and those who caused their suffering should be held responsible. The trial went on for over a month, and in the end, Judge Raymond J. Broderick found that Penhurst was indeed overcrowded, understaffed, and lacked the programs needed to care for its residents. The use of physical restraints, seclusion rooms, and psychotropic drugs added to the deplorable conditions were brought to light in the trial. It also became very clear that residents were being abused physically and sexually by the staff. The lawsuit was the first of its kind in the United States, a federal class action, Halderman v. Penhurst State School and Hospital. Terry Lee Halderman had been a resident of Penhurst and suffered multiple episodes of abuse. She suffered injuries including cracked teeth, broken fingers, and even a broken jaw. The suit stated that while on a visit home, Terry's parents noticed unexplained bruises all over her body. The courts found that Penhurst was violating the 14th and 18th Amendment as well by using cruel and unusual punishment. They also violated the Pennsylvania Mental Health and Retardation Act of 1966. The case became an important rule of law known as Penhurst Doctrine, which has been cited by the state attorney general as binding precedent under U.S. constitutional law. When people think of Penhurst now, the first thing that's usually mentioned is how haunted that place is. We took a trip down to Spring City, Pennsylvania to visit Penhurst just a few weeks ago. It seemed that everyone in town had their own stories of Penhurst, and everyone had one of two reactions. Yes, they've been there, and it's unbelievably haunted, or no, I refuse to go there because it's unbelievably haunted. Pulling up to the location, it was like nothing I've ever seen before. Something straight out of a horror movie. And I didn't even have a grasp on just how massive this complex is. We pulled up in front of the administration building, which I've seen in pictures before. But once you wrap around that building, you realize just how massive this place is. The grass was overgrown, the buildings were crumbling, and nature had virtually taken over many of these structures. Twisted metal staircases, blocked off entrances, crooked signs, and broken out windows. It was like a movie set. We were in town for a paranormal convention with the cast of Ghost Hunters and Destination Fear, and thousands of people were pouring in. Our tent was set up next to an old rusty playground, smack dab in the middle of the complex, and the setting was ominous and oddly breathtaking. We took the opportunity to explore some of the areas that we were allowed in and wandered into some areas that we were quickly kicked out of. I made my way down toward the underground tunnels that connect the buildings, and as I made my way down the stairs, a pair of paranormal investigators were hurrying their way back out of the tunnel. 
They were high-fiving and absolutely besides themselves about what they had just experienced down there. Apparently, they had both heard a disembodied voice speak to them in the dark tunnels beneath. I wandered into the tunnels to grab any footage I could and see if I might experience anything myself before somebody realized I was heading into a place that I probably shouldn't be. There have been all sorts of activity reported in these tunnels. At least one property manager even refuses to enter the tunnels alone. Disembodied screams have been heard echoing from these tunnels. While one member of the staff was conducting an Estes method in the tunnels near the Devon door, she claims that she was attacked. It started when she got incredibly cold. Then she felt the sensation that somebody had wrapped their arms around her from behind, squeezing tighter and tighter. She had a full-blown panic attack and found a massive bruise on the top of her thigh the next morning. With many of the patients being non-verbal, many of the ghostly encounters seem to reflect that. Investigators will see objects move, doors open, they have captured grunts, cries, and moans on voice recorders, as well as hearing them throughout many of the buildings themselves. The Quaker building was nicknamed the Dead Girls and Dead Boys Ward at one point because of the conditions of the patients held here. These patients suffered extreme physical disabilities and they were unable to walk. At one point, all of their beds faced the windows. Those windows faced the playground, where they would have to watch the other children play. Eventually, staff would change the ward to what was nicknamed the Bad Girls and Bad Boys Ward, where they would send children who were violent and more prone to acting out. There was a rumor of a ghost inside Quaker and the Rockwell Tunnel, who was apparently an incredibly abusive and ruthless janitor that used to work at Penhurst. They believed that he physically and sexually abused female patients. His spirit is predictably most active around younger and shorter females. In the basement of Devon, there is a room which they call Candyland. This was one of the playrooms at Penhurst. Staff claimed that there is a dark entity that lurks down there. This ghost has contacted them through multiple avenues of communication, including geoports, K2 meters, and others. And he claims that he was not a patient there. He is a guest. And he likes to be there because they, quote, feed him. This has been interpreted as his spirit feeding off of the constant flow of energy being brought to Penhurst. His ghost has been said to follow investigators around and latch on to them. Investigators and staff have played games with the ghostly children in here, playing hide-and-seek and duck-duck-goose with them. The Mayflower Building is widely regarded as the most haunted of them all, with hundreds if not thousands of paranormal occurrences experienced here by investigators over the years. Four main ghosts seem to be the most active inside Mayflower. Howie, who is the ghost of a young boy and does not like when people touch his toy plane. There is also a shadow figure that is mostly seen in the common room and bathroom. His shadow has been captured multiple times on camera, and it's believed that his name is Fisher. This name is written on one of the cell walls inside of Mayflower. The third is the ghost of a little girl who lurks on the third floor, and the fourth is an evil entity believed to be the ghost of a nurse. Visitors have felt the sensation of being stabbed with what feels like a needle or a syringe while in Mayflower. The following is a direct quote from Tamara Lawrence from her book, Ghosts of Mayflower. Quote, Then it happened. I jumped back into position, but didn't feel a wall. I felt what seemed to be a solid shoulder against my back, as if I had just backed into someone. Instantly, I froze. It felt like my husband was behind me. My shoulder felt numb pressure against it. People were coming up from below. Instinctively, I took four quick steps to the left side, just as they arrived. I was so glad to see them. I stared where I had been standing, and nobody was there. I'm Jesse Wilkins, and this is Hometown Ghost Stories, The Ghosts of Penhurst. 
What's going on, folks? Welcome into Hometown Ghost Stories, episode number 83. We're covering Pennhurst today. I'm Jesse Wilkins. I'm joined by Rob Coakley. Hello, Rob. This is one of the more incredibly sad stories we've covered. I I was so sad watching that entire video. It was uh, depressing. I should have. I, I meant to go live before and just give like a secondary disclaimer about like some of the images and videos that we use in this one, but forgot to. But we have a regular disclaimer, which pretty much covers all the bases. Anyways, we're also joined by Dave. Hello, Dave. Hello, uh, Eastern Pennsylvania State Institution for the Feeble-Minded and Epileptic might be the most disrespectful name I can think of for any building. Yeah, it was hard to try to curb your language because that's the language that was used at the time. It seems unbelievably disrespectful. These were the terms that were used. I mean, more disrespectful is the way that they treated all of the uh, patients that were there, as well as just everything about this place was gone about all wrong. And unfortunately, I think it was Rachel or somebody else that had brought it up in chat. This was happening all over the country. This is just how it was, which is very unfortunate, but a very sad, very disgusting history with this place. And um, it's yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't accusing you of being disrespectful, obviously, but the English language was also entirely used differently back then. Words were mm -hmm. used not the same. The word idiot was less of a, uh, an insult than it was just a word that they used to describe somebody. Right. It was, uh, it was those terms. So very tricky, very tricky one to put together and not um, try not to be offensive while putting this stuff together. But it but was the a, name. Uh, the name also just shows how, they just lumped everything together. Like they, there was no like separation of, of like different disorders. Right. They were just were throwing everybody they could in one bucket because ep epilepsy has nothing to do with any of the other stuff that they were treating here. Right. So they were just bringing in everyone and just kind of hiding people from society. And like we said, it wasn't just here, it was everywhere. So if you had any sort of condition, this is where they shipped you to. Even and, if you didn't have a condition, I mean, they, they had, it took them all of like two years for them to just say, all right, any uh, immigrants, criminals, and, and they, they just opened the doors to whoever they didn't want in their community, basically, which is what it comes down to. And it was, it was pretty rough. So before we hop into all that, uh, I want to say what's up to everyone who's hanging out in live chat. We appreciate you guys showing up. A rare IPA you'd never heard of just threw in $2 in super chat. Says Jesse is so dreamy. So are you, rare IPA you've never heard of. You are also so dreamy. But shout out to everybody who's hanging out. We appreciate you. And, and I know there's a few people in here that have relatives and family members and and kids and and people that they're close to that do you know have special needs. And they said that this was a particularly tough episode to watch. So we appreciate you sticking with it and fully understand if uh, if this is a little too much to handle. It's a rough episode. There's no light way to cover this place. It's almost doing a disservice to the patients who suffered here to not talk about what was actually going on here. And I guess before we jump into all the horrors, because that's that's the majority of this place, I do want to mention, and I didn't really mention in the episode, that there were a few nurses and doctors here that were like absolute saints. So it was understaffed and they were handling hundreds of patients every single day and they were doing everything that they could to make their lives better. So it wasn't all bad people that were running this place. There were a few people that were absolutely, you know, phenomenal people and just doing God's work out there. So it's not all bad, but you know, it all starts with Dr. Fear. Fuck well, that guy. <laughs> they a lot of these people also knew that they were way understaffed, overcrowded, and they did reach out to the government for assistance to build more facilities and to try to get more staff there. And every time they did, they were turned down. Mm -hmm. So 
it's not just on the staff. Now there was bad staff. This goes back to like positions of power where there's plenty of people there that are there to help. And there's plenty of people that take these positions to actually abuse the power because that's just who they are as people. And they look for that type of stuff. But just to start off, I mean, they, they were overcrowded two years in, they were supposed to get around like a thousand people in this place, a little less than that. And I think within two years, they were already at like 2000 uh, people admitted to this hospital because they're not even, they weren't allowed to turn people down. That's the other thing. So if you brought somebody there, they had to take them in. And like you just said, they were just dumping whoever they could here to. It's crazy because they weren't, they also weren't doing anything to lower the population there. So technically with the laws, I'm not sure what year this turned. It might've been this all along, but when somebody turned 18, they were allegedly free to walk out, but they had these people literally chained up. They couldn't walk out if they wanted to. A lot of them, they never even taught them how to walk. They wouldn't even allow them to learn these types of things. So it was massively overcrowded. It looked like a nightmare of an operation, no pun intended. And it was disgusting. I mean, they, they didn't have the staff or the will to clean this place up. I had heard that on weekends, most of the staff would just go home. And everyone was just left to fend for themselves for a period of sort time. Of. I think it was the the entire medical staff would have the weekends off. So they still had like the guards and whatnot there, but the medical staff was not there. So there was no medical treatment. They weren't getting their prescriptions that they needed and they weren't getting the medical care during the weekends. It was just during the week, which is a really poor way to run a medical facility. Wildly yeah. irresponsible. <laughs> yeah. It's ridiculous. Imagine that at a hospital, like, oh, God, I got to go to the hospital. Ah, oh, it's the weekend. There's no doctors. Yeah, we're just going to not, except there's a guard here. So if you want to come hang at the hospital and hang out with the guard, cool. But yeah, yeah there's, no, there's no doctor. Like, what yeah. do you think this is, Monday? Yeah, you no. can come in. Just don't even try to film a TikTok live. <laughs> yeah. Kick you right out. Right out. It's a serious crew over there. Serious crew. So we did go down. We went down there for the Paracon a, a few weeks ago. We went live a few times, so people were able to see that. I mean... Allegedly, we went live a few times over there, so people were able to see what we were doing there. We met a lot of really cool people. We actually ran into a bunch of fans of the show, which was cool and still surprising. I know we have a good group of people that listen to the show, but it still shocks me when we are in a completely different state and someone comes up to us that we've never met before and like, yeah, I listen to you every week. And I'm just like, awesome to see you. So we saw a good good chunk of people there that already knew who we were and stuff, and that that was pretty humbling, pretty cool. Yeah, it really was. And we had a, so this, I mean, the event is really cool and I'm, I'm pretty sure we're, we're going to do it next year. And I feel like you're trying to make sure we don't. <laughs> when we pulled in though, it was like, I had seen pictures of the administration building mm-hmm. and for some reason I kind of thought that was it. So I didn't do a bunch of research on this place going in. When we went there, it was like, cool. I know Penhurst is awesome. I know a lot of people have asked for us to cover Penhurst and it was just in Stranger Things, or at least it was, you know, in Stranger Things. I don't think they actually used Penhurst, but the mention of it was there. So it was, you know, it's it's always it's at the top of, you know, every paranormal investigator's list. Like Penhurst is top ten for pretty much everybody, right? But when we pulled in, we were waiting to go drop off our stuff at the booth that we had, and we sat there for a long time, and it was just pulling in. It was such a spooky, cool looking place. I had mentioned it a couple of times that it looked like a movie set. Like you pull in, yeah. you're like, whoa, this is the real deal. And then when we finally pulled around back of the, the administration building, the place just kept going and going. 
and I, I try to make a mention of of most of the buildings in the episode, but I didn't even get to all of them. There are so many. It's like a college campus when you walk on there, and it's so massive. And a lot of the buildings are closed off, and I guess a few of them had collapsed. So below the tunnels, there's a subtunnel, and I guess at some point the subtunnel had started to collapse, which brought a lot of the tunnels down with it, and then the buildings that were on top of the tunnels also collapsed. So they had to clear out a few of them. I'm not sure which buildings were destroyed over time, but I mean, a lot of these are, you know, you get like half a building here, you know, a building with no wall over here. There's broken up windows everywhere. It really looks like the set of like a zombie movie. Yeah. And, and that kind of, I mean, it was built in 1909, I believe. So it's, it's old, but for it to be this like destroyed, it really shows the level of like care that wasn't put into the buildings either. Right, because these are big brick buildings, and as long as you care for these, they should, they should have been standing or in relatively decent shape. So, right, the just, place wasn't even hasn't even been shut down that long, like nineteen eighty seven. And right. if you you're absolutely right, if the place was kept up with over the years, then it, they would still be standing. But this place is so dilapidated, and it does go to show that like when they were asking for more money from the government to help them keep the place staffed. And they weren't even getting that. There's no chance they were putting money in for construction or not right. keep. Yeah, I mean, I know, I know they were getting money from time to time, but I mean, when you look at the comparison of money that was being spent on each individual animal at the local zoo to human beings at Penhurst, the animals were getting more funding, and that just goes to show what they thought of these these human beings, which is crazy. Chris brings up a good point. He says, uh. Uh, the only time facilities like Penhurst ever got attention was when facilities uh, brought in the media to cover the insanity of it all, which right. is crazy because it, it blew my mind when I watched this documentary. And you can watch it on YouTube, which is called um, it's called Suffer, Suffer Little Chil- the Little Children. And Ugh, creepiest title ever, like saddest title ever, too. Like, yeah, very felt, attention grabbing. Almost felt like I was going to get like red flagged for even typing that into my web browser. <laughs> I'm like, I hope. Hope they know what I'm looking for here, but it was it it was this documentary or this it was like a five part news series. This guy, I was shocked at the things that Doctor Fear and other doctors there admitted to doing, and it goes to show that they could get away with anything at that time. But why in the world would you admit the things that he admitted on camera? I'm watching it; it was blowing my mind. He's admitting to torturing people, so he admitted to giving this injection. And he's, but it seemed like he was trying to cover himself. He's like, well, you know, I consulted with a physician about what would be the most painful thing that I could inject without doing permanent damage. I wasn't going to do permanent damage. It's like, dude, you're admitting to literal torture. It, it's just such an awful, awful person. And he had, he had explained a bunch of other techniques that he was using to punish patients. And it, it just blew my mind because it's like all of these things that you're doing, there's a 0% chance that any of this stuff is helping anybody. And your job is to help these people get better. But he's taking higher IQ people and putting them in rooms with lower IQ people as punishment. And they're not talking to anybody. They're not learning. They're not getting any better. They're getting worse. This is It was just the most messed up form of punishment uh, that I could think of. And it, it just blew my mind. So it's like you have a news crew that goes in. And I would assume the reason he allowed the news crew in for one, it's a state-funded place, so I think he would probably have to. But for two, I think he was bringing them in to explain why they needed more funding. And he right. was basically explaining we're understaffed, so you know we can't get the proper care for these people. And 
But then he just goes on about how he tortures people. And it's like, all right, well, I don't think you deserve funding. I think you deserve to be shut down. Or he needs to be out of there. And this is. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What we saw with these places a lot in like the 60s, 70s, into the early 80s, where the media was going in. And I do think you're right. I think it's on behalf of people who are like, that were putting their hands up there. Like, we can't do anymore. This, like, what do we do here to help these people? And the only way to help them was to show what was going on to either get more funding or to get shut down because it wasn't working. It just, it wasn't, it wasn't doing what it was designed to do. And they almost always fell off the rails immediately. It it was never like starts good, starts good, starts good, doing the right thing. And then one person comes in, it's just, it comes out like they come in, they're forgotten about immediately and it goes to hell within six months to a year. Right. And And nobody, Nobody was rehabilitated. Nobody got better. No one was helped at this place. It was just basically a place to go and get worse and get used. Yeah, it was a place where people could just send send them off and forget about them, which was how it was at the time. And they were taking kids with, uh, you know, just just kid goes kid goes and steals a, a pack of gum from the convenience store, and they're like, all right, off to Penhurst you go. And then they just never see him again. It's just crazy. It's crazy. It's a whole different time. And you got to wonder too. So the news crew went in there in the 1960s and filmed all of this horrifying footage. What do you think that place was like 20, 30, 40 years before that? It had to have been worse, right? I understand the overcrowding got worse over time. But the way that, in my mind, I think of, okay, you're not dealing with modern medicine and modern techniques anyways, but then go back 50 years. It was probably 10 times worse. It was probably 10 times worse. I I think that's tough to say because for those reasons, yes, but because of the just the, the mental mindset of the people working there, as you get less help, your your feelings towards the place shut down more, right? So like as people come in and they're like, well, they haven't done anything here for 30, 40 years, so why should we do any more? And they're just adding more people and people and people it's probably getting worse conditions wise, but maybe the medicine's getting better, but maybe not because maybe they're just like, whatever, we'll just do what we've been doing. Mm-hmm. They were wrong so, about almost everything medically back before, even, you know, even in the sixties before the, but definitely before the sixties. So the further back you go, the more archaic the medicine was. Right. And they just generation after generation was just, you know, medical people just failing their patients with, I'm not even talking about abuse, just the, they just, we just didn't know back then. So I think that, I think that we're all saying the exact same thing is that while medicine mm-hmm. was getting better, the overcrowding was obviously making living conditions much worse. Exactly. Right? We have a few people in chat who are asking if they ever had visitation hours and they did, they had an actual building that was designated for visitation, but it was widely known and it came up in the lawsuit that patients were threatened. They're like, if you tell them what's going on here, then you will be punished even worse. And I mean, I, I can only imagine what the even worse punish. They're, they're pulling teeth out of patients. They're, uh, there's a ton of people who died on the operating table 
and whether they were doing any kind of experimental kind of stuff. I'm sure they won. I'm sure they were at a few periods of time of whether it was lobotomies or, or whatever they could do electroshock therapy to try to, you know, quote unquote, fix these, these patients. Then, I mean, just this, the amount of them that were dying on the operating table was staggering and they found the binders. So they found like three binders with all the different doctors and they had all of the, the listings of all the patients that died on the operating table. And a lot of the reasons that were listed were like, they were suspicious. So, and, and some of the reasons where they were administering some sort of a punishment. So just the most twisted stuff you could imagine. There was a morgue there. There's a cemetery. They, I've heard estimates of up to 50% of the people that stayed there died there. I don't know if the number could be that high. That's, that's staggering, but it wouldn't surprise me completely. I mean, a lot of people were born here and died here. They never left. Do we have an exact number of how many patients were there or are we just estimating? It's about 10,000. 10,000 went in and out. That sounds like an estimate. That's because I wonder if they were keeping like an actual record, like if there's an exact amount of people that we know were patients there or if it's all just like about this many patients and there's no way to keep track because the record keeping was probably not up to par. I would assume it's probably better in this case than it was in other cases because it was a hospital. And so they, they kind of have to keep track of that stuff. So I, I know the number is around 10,000, but I'm, I'm not entirely sure what the exact number is. I'm not sure what my source was, but the, I use a bunch of different sources on this, but it's, it's, there was so much on this episode. We could have done three parts on it. And I'm, I'm assuming as long as we're allowed, we'll go back and do an investigation and that'll be part two. And we'll cover more of the ghost stories because, I mean, there was so much going on here that I couldn't even get into a portion of the ghost stories. And so many people have investigated this place. Uh, all the main shows have been there. Ghost Hunters, Ghost Adventures, Destination Fear. Um, I was actually just watching Jake the Viking. He had gone there and everyone has their own evidence of, of what they're catching here. But it seems that it is the general idea that the Mayflower building is the most haunted building. And there's four four main ghosts that haunt that building. Um, you have the boy who doesn't like when people touch his toy airplane. You have the ghost of a little girl, and there really is not much information on her. And then you have something evil lurking in the playroom, Candyland. That's what they called it. And I remember when we were walking in there, one of the security guards, that one that was super cool, and uh, he actually sent us a bunch of pictures that we used in the episode because he went out and just took a bunch of them. But he was telling us, he's like, if you get a chance, he's like, you got to go in the basement of the Mayflower and check out the um, Candyland room. And I was like, that sounds cool. But we didn't have access to it while we were there. But then I looked up the pictures of it. I'm like, whoa, this place is so creepy. Just anytime you have like old child art and it's peeling and the paint is peeling and it's all crumbling and stuff, it makes absolutely any picture look completely creepy, completely so. Um, Especially that old, the old style drawings from kids and stuff. Yeah, it's it's not for me. It would be um, the last place I'd want to investigate alone when we do Penhurst, because the plan is to do Penhurst at some point. The plan is to do. You just got assigned your room. Yeah, this place is big enough. We're going to have to explore a little bit on our own, anyways. I want to hit the tunnels by myself. That looked crazy. Uh, Matthew Thomas says, "How did no one in charge go to jail? This is some Nazi type shit. It is some Nazi type shit." And I had heard on a few different sources that Hitler himself was inspired by what was going on uh, over in at, at Penhurst, which was massively. It was eugenics. That's what it was, right? Mm-hmm. 
and this was the same idea. So I, I could see where that was. I don't know how we really would have heard of that. But speaking of World War II, it is the anniversary of D-Day. A little sidetrack there, but shout out to uh, all of those who fought for the country and died. You know, how many years is it, Pops? It was like 79 years or something like that. So a lot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that is Mayflower Building, and then there, there's just so many haunted stories. And the tunnels are are wildly haunted. There was an attack down there. So you had one of the tour guides, and this is it. I got this from this story from Jake the Vikings video, and she was explaining how she was attacked down there. And it seemed that like something had grabbed her from behind and hold her, held her really tight, and to a point where when she woke up the next morning, she actually had bruises. But I guess she they felt the temperature drop, and then she went into like full blown panic mode. And it was uh, you know, it was another instance of an attack. So those are the tunnels. I mean, you can go all day with all, all the hauntings all over the place. I didn't even cover all the buildings, but it's with so much pain and suffering here and so many years of abuse and people who never even stepped foot off of the property, it, it this has to be haunted, right? If anything is haunted, it's going to be this place. Yeah, I think all things would suggest that it is. What I find interesting and what I was reading about this place and the hauntings is that most of the ghosts that are said to haunt this place are all um, benevolent spirits. They're all friendly and not aggressive and not negative, which I find surprising with the amount of negative energy. You'd think that there would be some malign spirits here. I think so. I mean, and there are reports of them too. So you get what you might expect there, which is people saying that there's the ghost of an evil doctor, ghost of an evil nurse. They say that one of the ghosts of a nurse will stab people. So they, they say that people who are investigating or visiting can feel the sensation that they're being poked with a needle. Ugh. And yeah, that, that, that's, that sounds painful and something I wouldn't want to experience. But so it seems like there are some darker spirits here. And mm. uh, there's that. I, I'm pretty sure they still do a haunted Halloween attraction as well, which when it first opened, it was really distasteful. It was <laughs> the... I, I don't know who signed off on this project, but they tried to say that they were being respectful by telling the story, but you you would walk through this haunted house and it would just be doctors torturing patients. It's like, dude, what are you doing? Yeah. Like we we understand, but then they recently revamped it. I think there's new owners and they kind of flipped it on its head. So now if you go through the haunted attraction, if it's still open, I'm not sure. They still have the sign out there when we were there. So I'm assuming it's open probably around Halloween season, but the, the attraction now, as far as I understand, is kind of a reverse script where like the patients take control of the asylum and they lock up some of the evil doctors inside and kind of turn the tables on them. So a little more tasteful now, but when it first opens, like, dude, what are you doing? Like this actually happened here. If, if you had like a warehouse and that's the theme that you want to go with, but it just seems disrespectful, especially since it just closed in 1987. So people that were at Penhurst are still alive. And there was, you know, I've seen interviews with them and stuff, and they're just good people. And it's uh, it's just heartbreaking, the whole scenario. Yeah. I guess you kind of ask where you draw the line, right? I Because I, it seems distasteful to have any sort of haunted attraction where you're charging people money to come in and have almost like an amusement park feel at a place where there was so much horror and death and negativity. But then it, it doesn't feel like investigating the paranormal that doesn't feel distasteful to me because you're literally just trying to invest it's a form of investigating history in one way so you know it's, it's where do you draw the line 
I yeah, guess you I guess could it, say that it also depends on how you're investigating the paranormal as well, right? Like, yeah. are you going there? Are you antagonizing? Are you, are you provoking? Right? Like, of all That's places, this is where you probably wouldn't want to do that stuff out of respect for the people there. Even if you were trying to communicate with some of the more the the evil spirits, right? Like the like if it's like like say Doctor Fear was there, you still probably wouldn't want to antagonize just based on everything else that happened there. Allison has a good point. She says many abused patients were probably not evil, just had evil things done to them. So if they are still there haunting the place, they would be benevolent. I I agree with that. And my, I guess my original point when I had made that point wasn't that I believe that the spirits would be negative or evil so much. My point was more so that there was so much negative and evil energy in the place that I feel like that would, that would manifest more negative hauntings. Yeah, no, I sure. I totally feel that way too. Yeah, yeah. While many of the patients probably weren't, or I would say the vast majority of the patients weren't evil. There were evil people there, whether it comes to doctors or whatever, and they were also admitting criminals. So you might have had a couple, a few bad apples there. But I think for the most part, you have a massive place full of thousands and thousands of victims, and that's kind of how I view it. And it's it's yeah. And to go back to what you were saying, yeah, with provoking and everything like that, I feel like. If you're being disrespectful and stuff like that, then that's that's where I would draw the line as well, especially at a place like this. And did you did you um, hear the story about the 15 year old boy? Like what happened to him there? They were investig they are investigating um, a robbery, and during the interrogation, the boy he was a 15 year old boy. I think he had got admitted there when he was nine, so he had lived there for six years. He died of a brain hemorrhage. Basically, they beat him to death for 79 cents. That's what was stolen, 79 cents. Oof. So Yeah, you had, you had I mean, they, they would hire, or not hire, but they would instruct groups of patients to go bully another patient as a form of punishment. So if, if you were being bad or whatever, say you bit someone or something, or you're just fighting or just acting out, they would, the doctors would get a gang of other patients to go bully you. It's just, it's crazy. There, there was a, a a book written about a guy who was a patient there, or he wrote him, he wrote a biography about his time there. And he had said he witnessed staff throw a patient out of like a third floor, uh, third story window. And the kid survived, but still it's like, dude, this is it's just, this place was hell. It was hell. And I, I don't know. I mean, maybe, I kind of wish- these are the harder episodes for me to do because of, and we have to do them because it is history. It did happen. There is paranormal activity at these places, but anytime we do the, um, the asylums, the orphanages, it's a little more tough to do than some of the other stuff that we do. And the other episodes are murder and stuff too. It's just, it's just the amount that was done to people over the length of time, like just, I guess it's just quantity of everything. Like not that everything else isn't bad, but just every day for, you know, 80 years, 90 years here, there was just terrible things happening. Yeah. It's, it's tough. I mean, we like to laugh and joke on these podcasts is a tough one to uh, laugh or joke about. So I know we need a goddamn lobotomobile or something to, to come in and, and make fun of here, but there's, there's nothing. It's, it's just, it's all serious and it's all terrible. Uh, the book that I was referring to is this one here is called ghosts of Mayflower. It's a quick read. As you can see, it's a small one, but it was written by Tamara Lawrence. And she actually worked 
it uh, in the haunt, I guess. Mm. But actually, I don't even think it was the haunt that she was working in, but she was dressed up as like a, an orderly. And I think her job was basically just working security to make sure people didn't go to the third floor of um, Mayflower. And I think that it was just people either taking tours or paranormal investigators working their way through the building, but there seemed to be a constant flow. But the book goes through all the different hauntings that happened while she was working there. It's an okay book. It's, it's like I said, it's a quick read and it does go through a lot of the ghost stories, but it, the book was very much in need of an editor that she didn't get. So there's a lot of misspellings. So it drives me crazy. <laughs> I'm like, you published a book. You probably should have fixed your two, two and twos, but you know, that's well, just that's the I'm thing. With, you got to be a little bit more um, forgiving of independent publishers or in authors who are publishing independently because they don't have the big money for the fancy editors. So cut her some uh, slack also though, but that's a, that's a misleading title for your book. Ghost of Mayflower. If I bought that, I would have thought something completely different. Yeah, exactly. I thought it was, I thought I ordered the wrong book. Cause I, I had actually ordered this like a year or so ago. I was like, let me get a book on Penhurst. And this one popped up and I ordered it and it came in. I was like, that is about the Mayflower. So I didn't even read it. I just shelved it. And I went back. I'm like, once I realized that the building was called Mayflower, I'm like, oh, it is about Penhurst. So I'm back and got it. It does say a Penhurst haunting right across the top. So maybe if I looked a little harder when I got the book, I would have known. So anyways, what's, it is an enjoyable read. What's over? Is there anything else over your shoulder? I'm just kind of trying to look to see if there's any other bridges you want to burn before we try to go back to Penhurst. We, we've hit so, on security, the authors. Like, what else What else do you want to hit on here so that they don't invite us back? Um, no, nah, I got nothing yet. I'll think of something. <laughs> I'm going to burn at least three bridges every episode. Yeah. So, Rob, Hopefully you can just make fun of Pennsylvania if you want to. They'll just ban us from the whole state like every other state that we cover. Is Pennsylvania the most haunted state in the country? I don't know. It's, it's got a, You got Pennhurst. You got Eastern State. You got... Um, what do you call it? Gettysburg. We went down to Gettysburg while we made this trip too. That was exciting. Was oh yeah, you guys did. Yes. We I did. was still voyaging down, so I did not make it, but that was uh, something I would have loved to go see. So Gettysburg, what was it, about two hours from, from the hotel? Yeah, it's about two hours west of Penhurst, and we made the trip there and checked out the battlefield, and we went to Saks Bridge, which is – we covered – uh, Gettysburg a little over a year ago. And these are some of the locations that we had covered in that episode, but we hadn't physically gone. So it was pretty cool to go to all these locations that we had researched and talked about in that episode. Uh, we did that. We did Jenny's Jenny Wade house and yeah, the battlefield. So pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Definitely cool to go check out those spots. I mean, chat, what do you think? They're kind of going nuts on, on, who they think is the, or which state is the most haunted. See a few for Ohio, Florida, Louisiana, Texas. I mean, are we just dismissing Massachusetts because we live here? This is a pretty haunted place. It is. It is. It's pretty the oldest. Place. It's the oldest state, technically, right? Mm -hmm. First colony. Isn't yeah. Jamestown technically the first colony? Jamestown. I don't know. I mean, we pilgrims landed here, right, and colonized. Uh, right, you're you're about know. to get you're about to get lit up in the chat. It's coming. <laughs> they can do. They can whatever. I don't know. Sixteen twenty. It says it on the rock. I saw. I live two miles from the rock. It is carved right into that rock. That I don't know if people that have not visited Plymouth, I don't think they understand how exciting Plymouth Rock is. It is. It's crazy, blast. dude. You you go up, 
it's right on the right on the shore and there's like a little a thing surrounding gazebo? it gazebo it's not a gazebo i was about to say gazebo but it maybe you'd call it a gazebo anyways this is like the height of it so first you can either parallel park along the road or you can go to the parking lot past Plymouth Rock and that's pretty exciting off the bat <laughs> then you get out of your car it's a pavilion a pavilion okay all right so then the next step and this is also exciting is you can either put money in the meter or you can play it dangerous and leave it you're risking getting a ticket then you walk along the sidewalk and boom you reach the pavilion right walk inside there is a gate not a gate but a, a bar and you, not an actual bar it's not that fun uh there is a railing a railing if you will and then you look down and about what 15 feet down it's a rock it might not be 15 feet 10 15 feet maybe 20 who knows but i can tell you it's a rock and then you go there and you look down and you're like well what is that what was i expecting <laughs> and then you could take a picture by it and then you then you get back in your car and you leave so it's it's absolutely wild would you rather see plymouth rock or the world's biggest ball of yarn uh i the yarn i think <laughs> but i'm uh if they were to take plymouth rock and replace it with the giant ball of yarn you'd be so surprised that you're like wow that was a great time actually what a yeah. shock mm. i had no idea that, that the pilgrims landed on a giant ball of yarn that would be so. <laughs> Uh, two quick things. One, St. Augustine is the oldest colony in America founded in 1565. Which so is in Massachusetts. It is. Yes. And out there. <laughs> this is a list of the most haunted states in America measured by amounts of paranormal reports. So number one is Texas. Oh, Ricardo was right. 6,845 reported paranormal occurrences. And it's followed. Number two, I wouldn't have guessed, is California. Three That's is Ohio. Much. Pennsylvania comes in at seven. And Massachusetts, 16. That's 1233. That's horseshit. So, that list. I don't like it. We're going to have to make four. our own list. Left us in suspense. Yeah, because yeah, I feel like you could put like sure there's there might be a lot of reported hauntings but you gotta put the heavy hitters should count for more points right we'll come up with a system yeah it has to be like work like the electoral college <laughs> like depending on <laughs> depending on the haunting they get um, bonus yeah. points if al capone was involved somehow yeah like, <laughs> definitely <laughs> definitely yeah yeah well, like i guess this. we gotta hit california more often because there's that's a lot i wouldn't have guessed it was that high six thousand four hundred and forty four reported paranormal well it's gigantic like the state is huge so true you're also talking about a lot of abandoned ghost towns there from the the gold rush era i was actually just watching a lot of stuff on that today mm -hmm. so you have a lot of those out there um you have major cities out there so a lot of stuff going on during the construction of i mean hollywood you know la talking about san francisco we've done san diego so yep. there's just there's a ton of stuff out there yes there is and one more quick side note i am an idiot i literally yeah, i know. literally have an episode titled saint augustine the america's oldest city <laughs> like i came up with the fucking title <laughs> absolute dipshit all right moving uh, on that's pretty good
pretty good. Anyways, um, see what so I, I, do, I guess. Do you guys see what I have to deal with on a consistent basis here? <laughs> this is it. This isn't just Bob, a show. I know what you need to do. I know what you need to do. Burn more bridges. This is no. This is good. You're gonna be get an hour down. Over. You're gonna calm down. You're gonna take a trip down to Plymouth. You're gonna parallel park. You get out of the car. You can either feed the meter or don't feed the meter. Take a walk along the sidewalk. Take a look at Plymouth Rock. Big ball of yarn. Uh, what that's, if, that's, that's the best way to relax. What if we replaced the Plymouth Rock with a giant ball of yarn? Hmm. They don't. They don't like when people do stuff like that. And you're definitely going to want to. <laughs> you're going to want to feed the meter because <laughs> the only thing worse than the security guards at Penhurst are the meter maids down in Plymouth. That's true. <laughs> hey, I think we win that battle due to our opening ghost story there. So. Or, uh, they'll win the ultimate battle when they don't let us back. But if, if, you, if you guys ever wanted to see us investigate Penhurst, I'm sorry. We have <laughs> we have burned every bridge that we have considered on our path to Penhurst. But mm -hmm. at least we got to see it. It was, it was, uh, it was good to see it. True. We true, did. true. Anyways, uh, let's do this for the next 10 people who want stickers. Type stickers in chat and we'll do a little giveaway here. For those of you that were typing earlier, we do it at the end of the stream. So you don't have to, don't have to go crazy with it. Do and then in the meantime, I'll I'll read a review in the meantime. Mm. This one is from Hunter, and it's titled Dave and Jesse are great. So unfortunately, Hunter has been blocked from the show. <laughs> I actually get a lot of solace in this one because he spelled your name wrong. They put the I in it. So instead of doing the J-E-S-S-E, -S -S -E, they put the I. Um, it says, jokes aside, the podcast is fantastic and all the guys do an awesome job with each episode. I started listening a couple months ago when I got bored of my music while working early mornings and I'm just about caught up on everything but the horror movie reviews. This is the first podcast I've listened to and I'm not looking forward to running out of episodes to binge. The banter between Rob, Dave, and Jesse really makes the podcast what it is. Mixed with the in-depth history and storytelling, the show is hard to top. I highly recommend you sit down with a nice slab of bacon and give Hometown Ghost Stories a listen. You won't be disappointed. Still blows my mind when people say this is the first podcast that they've listened to. Like, it's just, thank you so much. Like, yes. Crazy. Absolutely. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. First and last. <laughs> Dave, you have one for us to read as well? Yeah, we got one that was, so when, if ever you don't, if you're unable to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts because you don't have access to Apple Podcasts or whatever, you could always leave us one on whatever podcast platform you listen to, but you can also either email us a five-star review if you want us to read it out on the show, or you can actually go to the website and leave it at, on the website, which is what Kathy Q did. So five-star review message. I haven't been able to leave an, a review on Apple, so I figured I would send a message this way. I love this show. I'm fairly new to podcasts, and I was scoping around looking for something to listen to. I found you guys by accident and decided to tune in. I was hooked instantly. I finally listened to all the episodes and now replay them at work, though I have to be careful. I have no customers as the bacon episode got me in a bit of trouble. As previously said, <laughs> great mix of facts and story and fun. It's like hanging out with my brothers, the ones I actually like. Thanks so much, Kathy Q. And thank you, Kathy. And uh, I apologize Sorry. on Kathy's behalf <laughs> to her brothers. <laughs> but we are better. <laughs> we are better, but we also do have a disclaimer. I'm just going to point that out. Like, we, we let you know that things are going to get a little wild sometimes on this show. A little bit. Yeah. 
just like going to Plymouth Rock. All right, let's uh, give this wheel a spin. <laughs> All right, we see Dave's dumb face spinning around in a circle. Who's it going to land on? And it is going to be Stephanie B. Oh, look at you, Stephanie. Congratulations. Stephanie had this be her so first good, set of stickers ever. No, it's not. <laughs> but we do have a bunch of new stickers, so you'll get those new locations. I'll make sure you get all the fresh ones. So we appreciate that. We also appreciate everyone who is on Patreon and YouTube. Hey, we just have 4,000 subscribers. So thank you guys for that. That's a nice milestone. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't already, make sure you like this video, hit subscribe, and join us. And for as little as $1, you can join and unlock all of the emotes on YouTube, which is a lot of fun. You become a member. You also get some uh, exclusive access to videos that are member only on YouTube. So like Dave getting yelled at by security. Mm-hmm. That's on Patreon. If you're wondering where that video <laughs> well, that's is. On Patreon, that's on Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, just kidding, security. That wasn't us. Please. Nope. Yeah, it wasn't real. Yep. And I love this book. Perfectly edited. All right. <laughs> Let's give a shout out to our patrons for our VIPs. We have Allison V, Garrett, Jeannie R, Lisa J, Mike Oubliette, Blake, Oubliette. Mom and Pops W, Peach Smoothie, Robert H, Demon King, and Inspires Gaming. For other ones, we have 32 DRC, Ambie Rose, Anna C, Chris C, Donnie N, Elizabeth Young, Lily, Jake V, Janice G, Mar Fire, Matthew T, Papa Squatch, Rachel B, Randy C, Sarah Cook, Stephanie A, Sydney B, El Capone, Anthony T, Brandon W, Brandon B, Captain McSlugs, Kath Q, Cody G, Hooska, Hooska, Castle, Huggy Bear, Joe R, Kiralee J, Mark M, Mariah M, Nuthouse Queen, Paul from St. Louis, Sam from Nepal, Sarah R, Scotty L, Solar Flare, Soph, Hooper, Swanee, and the other, Rachel B. Thank you guys so much for as little as $3 a month. You can join on Patreon, get ad-free episodes, early access, bonus content. You get to do the Patreon pre-show hangout that we definitely didn't skip today. And everything else. So we had a lot of a lot of cool perks to that background stuff. You get to see Dave um, get congratulated by the security at Penhurst for being perfect <laughs> vendors. Being so great. Yeah. Yep. You get to get a live viewing of us burning a bridge and visiting Plymouth Rock. <laughs> Figuratively. We did not yeah. burn Saks Bridge. That video is also <laughs> floating around. <laughs> of us visiting, not burning. Visiting, yes. No fires. No arson here at Hometown Ghost Stories. So not little yet. arson. Uh, yeah. Friday's episode, Dark Mysteries. It's a weird one. So stick around. Not stick around. Don't stick around till Friday. Go do whatever just, it is that you do wait. in between now and then. Where you are. And then come back on Friday for a weird episode of Dark Mysteries. I'm excited is for that. that. That's all you're going to say? You're going to give them that much suspense? Yeah. Uh, we're going, is, we're going next week. Is there in this dark mysteries is a owl going to need to be delivered to somebody? Not, not that weird. <laughs> not that weird. That was that was too weird. Oh my god! I haven't listened was, back to that episode. I can't wait. That was, <laughs> I forgot that about was a curse possessions episode. Yeah, where it's, you to break a curse, you just had to have someone um, uninitiated give you a, a dead owl. <laughs> So go listen to that episode because that was weird. Um, Next week, we are going to Japan. I have one or two stories that I want to cover from over there. So we're going to do a, we're going to head over there and do some um, Japanese ghost stories. All right. Any pirates over there? I think there was plenty of Japanese pirates. Well, maybe China. I don't know. I'm not the pirate historian here. There will be, there will be future pirate episodes. Don't you worry. Don't you worry at all. Love it. Cool, cool. Well, hey, thank you guys for tuning in. 
We appreciate every single one of you. We'll be back Friday. Dark Mysteries back on Tuesday. Another live episode. Make sure you leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and we'll see you guys on Friday. Bye. Peace.